And we're back. Welcome to another episode of The Wealth Principles. I am your host for today, Charles Danso. I want to welcome those tuning in from Spotify, Apple Podcasts, as well as YouTube. Make sure you subscribe, like, and share today's episode. So what are we going to get into today, audience? This is something that a lot of people have been reaching out to me via DMs or email, trying to learn a little bit more about the stock market. So I kind of thought that, hey, let's do an episode today centered around stock market. What, what exactly is, is the stock? What exactly type of investments you can get into? What are options? Some people have been asking about what options are. We're going to cover all those and many more. I'm going to give you guys some insight into some stocks you may want to look at in the 2023 year and maybe enter in the 2024 year and what the recession may may spell for the market altogether. But before we get started, I want you I want you guys to make sure you guys have a pen and paper for today because today is going to be a lot of note taking, a lot of emphasis on certain terminology that you have to know if you want to be an investor in the market. We're going to teach you about real estate investments in the stock market, something that a lot of people have been asking me as well. So again, like I said, I'm going to give you guys a couple seconds to get a pen and pad ready or a note taken if you guys are interested in today's episode. And again, like I said, you can share this with your friends, family, co-workers, whoever you think is valuable information to share with, go ahead and do that. So before we actually get into the different investments to get into, want to give a brief history of the stock market. What exactly is the stock market? Before we even start the history, what by definition, the stock market is a set of exchanges and other venues where shares of publicly held companies are bought and sold. So you guys may be aware, if you guys ever watch CNBC, if you ever watch Bloomberg TV, CNN even has a business section where they kind of tell you about uh, companies such as Tesla, Apple, that are set to trade publicly. I'm going to get into what exactly that means in a little bit. But what exactly that means is, like I said, a set of exchanges. There's various exchanges. There's the Dow Jones. There's a New York Stock Exchange. There's an S&P 500. There's many other exchanges that you can trade stocks on. But what I'm going to highlight in the history component is one of the oldest ones, which is the New York Stock Exchange. The first stock exchange started in London, which was officially formed in 1773, a scant 19 years before the New York Stock Exchange. Whereas the London Stock Exchange, remember guys, the London Stock Exchange was the first stock exchange to go before New York actually started, the New York Stock Exchange. The London Stock Exchange was handcuffed by law restricting shares. The New York Stock Exchange dealt with trading of stocks for better or worse, since its exception. The New York Stock Exchange, however, wasn't the first stock exchange in the U.S. However, that honor goes to the Philadelphia Stock Exchange. Now, many people may ask, why is Philly the first individuals in the U.S. to actually trade on the market and not New York? I'm going to tell you guys a very important figure that you guys probably heard of, Benjamin Franklin. I'm not going to get into more details of that, but what I'm going to say is he and his cohorts, his teams, Members were one of the first people to actually come together and trade on the, st on the stock exchange before it got it to New York. Now, of course, this first was formed by brokers spread through different boroughs. The New York Stock Exchange made its home on Wall Street, as you guys may know and still aware of today. The exchange, as is lo exchange location, excuse me, more than anything else, led to the dominance that the New York Stock Exchange quickly attained. It was in the heart of all business and trade coming in and going from the United States, as well as domestic base, 
from most banks and large corporations. By setting listing requirements and demanding fees, the New York Stock Exchange became a very, very wealthy institution, even to this day. Going forward. The New York Stock Exchange as well had very little domestic competition because it was one of the first stock exchanges to actually publicly trade companies. So again, the New York Stock Exchange dominance has been over even like 500 years and going. So this is why, again, you see such wealthy companies like like the dominant companies. Obviously, you see the Microsofts of the world. You see the Teslas of the world. There's so many others out there. So again, it's it's not... It's not common practice that a lot of these stock exchanges, a lot of companies, excuse me, trade on the stock exchange, uh, the New York Stock Exchange, because of the history, number one. Number two, the dominance that the New York Stock Exchange has had over the years. So again, like I said, audience, I kind of gave you guys a brief history. I didn't want to get too much into the history of it because what I more so want to focus on today is giving you guys the blueprint, teach you guys what you guys could kind of obtain you know, obviously investing in the market. A lot of people have been asking this question. I know it's something that has been on a lot of people's minds to be like, okay, what can I do on the stock exchange to kind of trade, um, you know, obviously get into it, this and that. So moving forward, what I also want to highlight for you guys today is certain terminology that you use in the stock exchange. A lot of people may ask yourself, what exactly does that mean? It basically is, again, like I said, something that it's pretty common practice to, you know, obviously trade on the market. Anybody can kind of go on the market and trade. But what what is the terminology being used? When you guys go, and again, on websites such as CNBC, so many others like that, what, what terminology are these guys using that, you know, they can use certain words like IPO, they can use certain words like uh, again, like I said, um, a bond or or stock, they can use uh, buy and uh, sell. Like all these things are being used, but a lot of people don't really understand what that means. And that's okay because, like I said, it's not necessarily it's not your fault. It's just a lot of these guys are so versed; they've been doing it for years. But it's very important. Just like yes, you may hire a lawyer. If you have a case pending, but you also want to use certain term, you understand certain terminology, so it doesn't sound like your lawyer speaking at you. What does that exactly mean, audience? It just means that again, it just means certain times you want to understand things that's going on, so it doesn't sound, it doesn't look and sound like it's just people like basically just talking at you. You want to understand this terminology that's being used. So again, audience, uh, just allow me a, a couple minutes to kind of go through this, but um, again, I hope you guys are ready. So what I'm going to do today is give you guys 40 terms. This is not limited to 40 terms, but these are the 40 key terms I thought are beneficial for you guys to understand what it means if you're actually going to be invested in the stock market. You have to understand these terms. This isn't something that I'm just saying that's hearsay because a lot of these terms are going to be used to make sure that if you are investing in these companies that you're interested in, in the LVMHs of the world, of the Apples of the world, of the Teslas of the world, that you understand exactly what those terminologies mean. So let's actually start. <coughs> Excuse me. The first one is buy. What does a buy mean on the market? It means to take a position by buying shares of a company. As a trader, you generally buy shares when you think of a stock's price will rise. 
Alternatively, when somebody uses the term sell on the market, it means to sell shares you currently own. Traders or investors generally sell shares when they see an opportunity to take profits or they think the stock's the stock's rise is ending. So that basically means that a lot of times you will sell a stock if you think that the price isn't as high as it once was when you bought it or the company may be taking a downturn. Let's say example Hertz is one perfect example where the company wasn't doing too well, they're going towards bankruptcy, so a lot of investors in that company actually sold their stock. You could say the same thing for Macy's, JCPenney, many of those companies went through the same uh downturn. And again, understanding a buy, uh, remember audience, buying a stock is to take a position by buying shares of a company and to and sell is to basically sell the shares you've owned once you bought them for whatever reason you want to sell it. Flipping over, when somebody uses the term bid, that means when a trader in the market makes an offer to buy shares. So usually if you guys have ever been on a uh, Platforms such as TD Ameritrade, I'll get into that a little bit. Robinhood, um, there's so many others out there. Just uh, just to throw some names out there, but again, usually you see a bid and ask price. The bid price means when a trader or investor in the market makes an offer to buy the shares. You can think of it like you're going to an auction. If you guys ever been to an auction or ever seen a TV show or movie when somebody's auctioning something when they raise like. Uh, the paddle up for, let's say, and then you hear this guy talking real fast, 100, 100, 200, 200, 300, 300. Think of it like that, but flipping it in the stock market. So basically a bid price is how much a stock price is going to, is basically, uh, is being offered to buy shares of. So basically when a trade in the market makes an offer to buy the shares. So again, you're bidding against what the basically company or the stock of that stock price is going to be. So example, let's say Apple's trading at 100 and you basically are bidding that let's say that that's the stock price will be at 100 and basically let's say you're thinking that it's going to rise because obviously a company like apple is always going to gain profitability just because it's one of those top companies out there that basically is, is killing it in the game so basically like i said that's what a bid price is it's, you're bidding the price to see how it's going to go how it's going to react in the market now i ask price alternatively is when a trader or investor offers their shares for sale at a certain price. Now, a lot of times on like a platform like TD Ameritrade, you can ask to sell your shares for a certain price, a certain value. Uh, if you're selling shares of example, let's say Apple, you're selling like, let's say three shares worth like 3000 That's usually your ask price. That's the ask price that you're willing to sell to the back to the market to get your money back to maybe reinvest it or cash out. That's what it means when somebody uses the term ask price. Now, remember, if a trader or investor holds shares and wants to sell them at a particular price, they place an order asking buyers to purchase them. That's important to understand, audience. Moving forward, a bid-ask spread. Now, remember, I taught you guys a bid and ask. Now, a bid-ask spread is the difference between the highest price at which someone is willing to buy shares and the lowest price someone is willing to sell shares. Let me repeat what I just said. When so I gave you guys what a bid is, what an ask is. Now, a bid-ask spread is the difference between the highest price at which someone is willing to buy shares. So how high can they basically go to buy the shares and the lowest price 
that someone is willing to sell shares. So think of a bid as like a negotiation. So the guy that's willing to buy the shares wants it to buy it at its highest price. Why? Because of the fact that the person's portfolio or their account is gonna be is gonna be valued at a high price or a high value, buying it at a high price. But obviously the seller will want to sell it at its lowest price at a discount because they get the biggest they get the biggest return by selling more of those shares. So that's what a bid act spread basically means. Now you guys have a uh, transition. You guys have heard of bull market and bear market, but I've learned that a lot of you guys don't understand what those two mean. But I think that's these two. If you guys are still with me, I hope you guys are still here. These two, when somebody uses the term bull market and bear market, is the most essential things you guys have to understand in the stock market. You have to understand what a bull market means and what a bear market means because that affects your money in the market. That affects how your money is going to other rise or decrease. That's going to affect what type of companies are going to be going bankrupt soon, most likely, are going to be suffering based on market conditions. Like example, high inflation, obviously a recession coming up. All these things play a factor in these two terms. The first one is a bull market. That basically means where market conditions of stock prices are continuously rising. You want to be in a bull market audience. Why? Because when a bull market is, is happening, stocks are high. Companies are making bank of money. Your stock is looking beautiful. The market is doing well. There's no recession coming up in a bull market because that means that the value of the companies on the, the stock market are rising. It doesn't matter where it's sector they're in. They could be in pharmaceuticals. They can be in tech. All these things play a factor in, in the bull market. That basically means, like I said, a market condition where stock prices are continuously rising. Bull markets are characterized by optimism and excitement from traders and investors. I just gave you guys a definition or example of what that meant. Alternatively, when somebody uses the term bear market, as you guys probably are, aware, are well aware of right now, that basically means where market conditions continuously fall. A lot of times, if you keep going down in a bear market, that's when you can hit a recession in the market. That's quote unquote recession or even go towards a depression. Reason being is because in the bear market, stock prices will continuously fall. The value of, of your, of your um, basically profit that you're made from the stock market is going to be falling at a high rate. So you guys want to be careful of being in a bear market. Be very, very careful. Another misconception a lot of people get is they think that because they're in a bear market, they can't buy stocks. Why can't you do that, audience? Think about it. If you're in a bear market, stocks prices tend to be cheaper. So alternatively, you actually want to buy or invest your money into stocks during the bear market. Think of it like a discount. Think of it like you're going to ShopRite or you're going to Costco and you have it on sale. Stock prices are more on sale during a bear market. So that doesn't mean that just because you're in a bear market where stock prices are falling, you shouldn't invest. Of course, you do your research. You make sure that you're investing in the right companies, but you can still buy. It doesn't affect you in any type of way. <coughs> Excuse me. Bear markets are times when the outlook seems bleak for the company, industry, or overall economy. Traders and investors are willing are less willing to buy stocks, like I just mentioned, and many are looking to sell. This causes prices to fall. But like I just gave you guys the blueprint, 
just because uh, Tim is doing it doesn't mean that Jessica shouldn't. Because like I said, you take advantage of stocks or, or company stocks being at a discounted rate during a bear market. I myself take that advice. I buy more stocks during a bear market. The reason being is because markets always fluctuate. At some point, the market right now is going to go back in the bull market where you see positive impact. That shouldn't negate you from still investing into the stock market by any means. That's very important. Alternatively, a market order, when somebody uses the term market order, that just means when a stock market order provides instruction to buy or sell as quickly as possible at whatever price is currently available. Usually when somebody does a market order in an audience, it just means that it can be it can be expensive if there's not enough volume. If you're going to trade penny stocks, never use market orders. I, I'll get into a little bit what that means. So that just means, again, like I said, the stock market, you when you do a stock market order or market order, you're basically telling the market you want to buy or sell as quickly as possible at whatever price is currently available. Now, why why would you why would people want to buy or sell as quickly as possible? Some people look at it. For traders, if you're trading on a market, excuse me, some people do it quickly because they're trying to make a quick buck. A lot of times, some people try to cash out. What was one of the, it was it AMC or Acme, whatever the movie, the movie conduit that a lot of people were doing that? They were doing market orders. They were just buying and selling because they knew that for just a discounted price, the high value, they were just going to sell it and make a quick buck. A lot of people make, do market orders when they're trying to make a quick buck or they're trying to just hold on to stock to just sell it off at a discounted rate for people. So that's just important. That's just what it basically means, audience, for those listening. Now, something else is that's important to understand is a good till canceled order. Let me repeat, a good till canceled order. This basically means that the market order remains open until you complete the trade or cancel the order, also known as GTC order. So basically, let's say you buy stocks, but you don't have enough money on your portfolio. That just means that what that's going to tell the market is, okay, maybe you're not buying it right now, but I'm going to hold the the shares that you bought in in whatever company, let's say Apple, I'm just going to keep using them. And I'm going to hold that. The reason being is because maybe you're going to come back tomorrow or end of the day and purchase that stock. So that's what it means. When until you until you actually cancel that's that purchase price, it's going to be in your uh, let's say cart. Let's say it's like you buying like clothes and you put it into a cart. So a good till cancel order is just basically what it means. It just means that you're buying different stocks, but you didn't actually click purchase. So it's just holding it for you. Now, a day order, this kind of applies more to traders. I'll get into more what that means in a little bit. But with a market with a market order, if it isn't filled during the day, it is automatically canceled at market close. That's what a day order is. It just means you're purchasing stock during the day. Volatility, I know you guys have heard this term, is the statistical measure of how much a stock moves up and down. So if you guys ever see, uh, let's say Apple is trading at 8 a.m. Uh, 9 9:30 a.m. at let's say $300 and you come back at 3 p.m. and you see that it's down to 200 or 250. That's just basically what it means. Volatility just means how 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 quickly or or slowly a price is going up and down based on market conditions. Liquidity, that's the measure of how easy it is to buy or sell a stock. I don't need to get into that. I'll just keep it moving. Trading volume is the number of shares being traded at a time. 
So when somebody used the term going long, it just means you purchase stock shares hoping to profit from an increase in the stock price. When somebody says going short is when a trader tries to profit from a stock's drop in price. Now, let me repeat what I just said. Going long, audience, is when you purchase stock shares hoping to profit from an increase in the stock price. <clears throat> when you short a stock, I'm sure you guys have heard that term, when somebody shorts a stock, it just telling the trader or investor tries to make a profit uh, from the stock's drop in price. So they basically are hedging against their bet that they know that, let's say, uh, let's say Google is going to go down by 150 by 4 p.m. They're basically betting against the market that's going to happen. So they're going to buy multiple shares, hoping that that happens. And then as soon as that happens, they sell it. Now, you have to be careful, audience, when you sell short. Why? Because of the fluctuation of the market. I do not recommend going selling short or basically going short is a term that you use. The reason being is because the fluctuation in the market, you can end up losing more than you actually put in. So I, I would stay far away from that if I, was, if I was you guys. Very important. Market capitalization. That is just basically a market cap. So how valuable is a company? How valuable is Apple? When you guys hear Apple has a $2 billion market cap, it just means when you combine all the assets of Apple, that's how much the company will be valued at for investors. That's all it means. So let me give an example of how to calculate that. If a company has 1 million shares outstanding and the stock price is $10 per share, the market cap is $10, 10 million. Now, what did I do? I multiplied 1 million times 100, to, or sorry, uh, at $10 a share. So, so 1 million, excuse me, times 10, excuse me, will give you the 10, 10 million that you need. Sorry, I, I gave you guys some bad math there. Let me repeat what I just said. An example, if you have 1 million shares of Apple outstanding and the stock price is currently trading at $10 per share, that means the market capitalization of that company would be 10 million or 1 million shares times $10 per pair to share price. So each stock is $10, but you own 1 million. So the market capitalization of that of that uh, valuation would be 10 million. That's what it means. Public float. This is a term for companies freely and traded stock shares. As active traders, we often look for companies with a low float. As as the prices tend to be more volatile. Now, when somebody uses this term, outstanding shares, this is the total number of company shares. It includes both public flow and restricted shares. IPO, IPO. You guys have been trying trying to ask me that in emails and DMs. What is an IPO? Excuse me, audience. Just got quick water. IPO or initial public offering. This audience is key, 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 key. You have to understand what an IPO is. An IPO stands for Initial Public Offering. This is when a company goes through the process of selling shares on the stock market for the first time. So when somebody goes public, when Tesla went public, when the dating site Bumble went public, when Apple first went public, that means that they're saying that, hey, guys, my company is for you guys to be investors in too. Come and join us. You're part of the team too. That's what it means. Now, there's a whole process before a company goes public. 
You have to go through lawyers. You have to go through underwriters. You have to get a bank like Blackstone or J.P. Morgan or Goldman to to basically even even give you the funding or say, okay, this guy is okay to trade or 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 be public publicly traded. You have to get approved by the SEC, which is basically like the IRS for financial institutions or companies newly being going public. You have to go through that whole process. So before a company even can go public, they have to go through many, many hurdles. So it's very important if you're first investing in the company that went public, you have to check three things. How good is the company's management? Let me give an example of what I mean by that. What is uh, WeWork? You guys here know that story of what happened. I don't need to get into that. There's so many others that just like that example. You also have to check what the company's moat. So when somebody uses the term moat, that means a competitive advantage. So what does this company do different in the same industry? Let's say that this company, company ABC, is in the fashion industry. What does he do different or he or she do different than LVMH? Because, again, you're, remember, when a company goes public, they're competing against everybody else in that same sector. Uber, Lyft, perfect example. Microsoft, Google, perfect example. So what does this person do different? Maybe Microsoft does artificial intelligence a little bit better than Google. You have to do this research. Now, how can you do this research? Just go on the company's website. Or you can research it by watching shows or reading the papers like Wall Street Journal, uh, CNBC, so many out there that give you this information. So if you guys take the time to do your research, this can help you actually invest in the company that first goes public. <coughs> ETFs, this is short for exchange-traded fund. ETFs are similar to mutual funds because they're pools of capital used for investment processes. But instead of wiring your money into the fund, you can purchase shares of the ETF on the stock exchange. Very important. Dividend, what does the dividend mean? This, this basically just means when a company pays a portion of her earnings back to shareholders. Now, let's say you buy Apple stock. You bought 10 shares of Apple. So Apple, for you being an investor in their company, has to pay you back. So that's what a dividend is. It's just a return on your investment for actually investing into that company. And every company pays out a dividend. They, they pay it in different parts of the year. Some people do annual. Some people do quarterly. But you have to... This is why they have, if you guys ever heard a thing called earnings call, that's what it basically means. They explain exactly when you get paid. But a lot of people, again, like I said, are, you have to be cognizant of the companies you invest in because some pay better dividends than others. Just like, it's just think of it like a regular job. Some jobs you do, they pay better, some pay worse. So you have to do the research to understand that what company you're investing in, what you're looking to make as profit from that company over time. Now, I'm, some, I'm a proponent of investing long-term. Some people prefer short. So if you are someone that prefers to make quick money, I would look at companies that pay great dividends uh, in a quick basis, like uh, AT&T is one, uh, Verizon is another. Um, there's other companies out there that pay good dividends. So I would kind of watch them to see like how they are paid out. I think Coca-Cola is another one, just a perfect example. So that's all out there. Stock exchange. Now, I kind of explained what a stock exchange is, but I'll just replay what exactly that means. It just basically means that uh, when it is an entity where stocks are bought and sold. The, the most well-known stock exchanges are the New York Stock Exchange and the NASDAQ. I don't need to get more in detail with that. I explain what that is. Stock chart. A stock chart is a visual graph of stock price over time. Traders use stock charts to help them interpret a stock's price action and pattern. All important. Um, 
and moving forward. So I and a, and a stock symbol. So um, stock symbols are usually just a symbol of a company. Like I'm trying to think of uh, App, Apple has a stock symbol. So basically, it's just telling you what symbol does it mean to invest into that company. You have to be careful to the audience because some symbols are very similar. So, but the good thing is a lot of these trading platforms allow you to click on a symbol so they'll tell you what that means. So just, just think of stock symbols as an abbreviation of the company. So if it's like, uh, this isn't actually Apple's uh, stock symbol, but I'm using an example. Let's say Apple is AAPL. That's just basically what a stock symbol is. It's just the abbreviation of the company on the stock market. And the dividend yield is this refers to the size of a company's dividend compared to the price of a stock. So basically, remember, dividend is how much you're paid. Uh, it's just basically, remember, if it's like you compare the price of a stock to the size of the company. That's all it means. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, I gave you guys a blueprint of stocks. You guys making me cough because I'm talking fast. <laughs> but again, like I said, I gave you guys stock. I didn't go through all 40, but I gave you guys a blueprint exactly of the ones that I thought that is very important for you to understand. Now I'm going to explain what options are, if you guys can allow me some time there. I'll give you guys some time to get a pen and paper. Some people prefer to trade options. I just started learning it. So again, I'm going off of the research I did. I'm not going to tell you I'm an expert in options, but I will. I would like to kind of give you guys a, a kind of a preview of what that is for those that are interested in what an option is. So moving forward, an option is a contract giving the buyer the right, but not the obligation to buy. In the case of a call, I'm going to explain what that means. Or sell, in, 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 as referred to a put, I'm going to explain what that means. The underlying asset at a specific price on or before a certain date. People tend to use options for income, to speculate, or to hedge risk. So think of options as kind of a get quick. Nobody can get quick rich, but it's just a quick way to make profit. That's what you usually do options for because they're cheaper. You're hedging against the market and you can get more shares of options as opposed to on the stock market. Options are known as derivatives because they derive from the value of an underlying asset. A stock option contract typically represents 100 shares of the underlying stock, but options may be written on any sort of underlying asset from bonds or currencies to commodities. Options are also contracts that give the bearer or the person that's tr trading the options the right, but not the obligation to either buy or sell an amount of some underlying asset at a predetermined price at or before the contract expires. Like most other asset classes, options can be purchased through brokerage investment accounts. I'll get into what brokerage investment accounts are in a little bit. Options are also powerful. Why? Because they can enhance an individual's portfolio. I kind of explained what I, I, I explained that a little bit earlier. They do this through added income, protection, and even leverage. Depending on the situation, there is usually an option scenario appropriate for an investor's goal. A popular example would be using options at an effective hedge. So basically bend against the market, against a declining stock market to limit downside losses. In fact, options oftentimes, audience, is where really invented for hedging purposes. Hedging with options is meant to reduce risk at a reasonable cost. Here we can think of using options like an insurance policy. Just as you insure your house or car, 
audience, options are used to ensure your investments against a downturn. So that just means, audience, that options are used in a sense of it's not as risk risky in a sense as stock mar- as a stock market, but there are still risk involved. That's why it's important to understand how to trade options. But options, because of the fact that you can buy for so little at a cheaper rate, you tend to kind of bet against the market that, okay, this price is going to stay at this amount, this and that. So that's what it basically just means. So let me give you an example. Imagine that you want to buy technology stocks, but you want to limit losses. By using put options, again, I'm going to explain what a put and call is in a little bit. You could limit your downside risk and enjoy all the upside in a cost-effective way. For short sellers, call options can be used to limit losses if the underlying price moves against their trade, especially during a short squeeze. Options can also be used for speculation. Speculation is, is a wager on future price direction. Usually, a speculator might think of think the price of a stock will go either up perhaps based on the fundamental analysis or technical analysis. A speculator might buy the stock or, or buy a call option on the stock, speculating with a call option. Instead of buying the stock outright, it is attracted to some traders too because options provide leverage. An out-of-money call option may only cost a few dollars or even cents compared to what the full price of a $100 stock. Now, I kind of gave you guys a quick explanation, but I want to explain, again, what I use. I kept saying call and put. I kept saying call and put in the options. So, again, like I said, when somebody uses a call option, if you guys ever trade options or are interested in trading options, when somebody uses the term call, it just means buyers of call options use them use uh, basically them to hedge against their position of a decline in price for the security or commodity. American importers can use call options on the U.S. dollar to hedge against a decline in their purchasing power. Alternatively, a put is when you use them to hedge against their position of a rising price for a security or commodity. You can use put options on the U.S. dollar to hedge against the rise of selling costs. Holders of American depository receipts are often referred to as ADRs, and foreign companies can use call options on the U.S. dollar to hedge against the decline in dividend payments. This is important. So, how? So, I kind of gave you guys a blueprint of what what exactly options are. I'm going to explain how to actually trade options. Many brokers today allow access to options for trading for qualified customers. If you want access to options trading, you will have to be approved for both margin and options with your broker. Once approved, there are four basic things you can do with options. You can buy long with a call. You can sell short with a call. You can buy long with puts, and you can sell short with puts. Now, what does that sound like? Sounds eerily similar to the stock market, right, audience? That's not by coincidence. Buying stock, you... You usually take a long position, but buying a call option gives you a potential long position in the underlying stock. Short selling a stock gives you a short position. I explained what that is, so I'm not going to get more into detail with that. Selling a naked or uncovered call gives you a potential short position in the underlying stock. Alternatively, when you're buying a put option, that gives you the potential short position in the underlying stock. Selling a naked or unmarried put, that's what is often referred to gives you the potential long position in the underlying stock. Keeping these four scenarios straight is crucial, audience. 
Very crucial. People who buy options are called holders and those who sell options are called writers of options. Here are the important distinctions between holders and writers. Call holders and put holders, which are often referred to as buyers, are not obligated to buy or sell. They have the choice to exercise their rights. This limits, though, the risk of buyers of options to only to only the premium spent. Call writers and put writers, often referred to as sellers, however, are obligated to buy and sell if the option expires in the money. More on the below, I'm going to explain what that means. This means that a seller may be required to make good on a promise to buy or sell. It also implies that option sellers have exposure to more and in some cases, unlimited risk. This means writers can lose much more than the price of options premium. Now, you guys are probably like, what the hell is this guy talking about right now? So let me just summarize it right now for you guys with a few terminology. A call option, as I explained, it gives the purchaser, which is you, if you're purchasing an option, the option to or right to buy shares of a stock or any other security at a fixed price. This price is called a strike price. When an investor buys a call option, the option is to buy is open for a set time period. It depends when that is. You guys have to do your research for that to understand exactly when the expiration date is, when a call option it will be voided. Though some options positions are automatically closed or exercised if they are in money, standard option contracts are no more than 90 days. So basically anything past 90 days, if you're looking to do an option of a company, you're going to be out of luck. You have to. That, so that's why I say options is more like get rich quick or get money quick. That's how I look at options. So in a put option, alternatively, it gives the purchaser the right to sell shares of a stock at the strike price of a specified day. When getting to no puts and call definitions, it's important to remember that each one has a strike price <coughs> and expiration date. When you guys are buying options, you need a strike price, which remember, a strike price is basically gives the purchaser the option or right to buy shares of a stock or any other security at a fixed price. That's a strike price. And an expiration date. Those are the two things you need to be aware of when trading basically uh, in, in the options. So then the strike price with a call option or put option, the strike price is one of the most important trading terms to know. In a call option, the strike price is the price at which an investor may buy the underlying stock associated with the contract. In the put option, though, the strike price is the price at which they may sell the underlying stock. Let me explain that again. In a call option, if you guys are trading options, how you use a strike price is when the price at which the investor may buy the underlying stock associated with the contract. In the put option, the strike price is the price at which they may sell the underlying stock. The gap between the strike price and the actual price of a stock determines whether an investor is in the money or out of the money. So are you all in or are you out? Are you half-assing it or are you actually in? That's what it means. So in the money, if you guys, if I was too vulgar in that, I'm going to explain what that means quickly. In the money, when somebody uses that term, is discussing stock movements. It's typical to think in terms of whether a stock price is up, down, or flat. With options, on the other hand, there's different language used to describe whether an investment is paying off or not. 
An option is in the money when the correlation between the strike price and the stock price is leaning in the buyer's favor. Which which way this movement needs to, to go depends on whether they have a call option or put option, which I previously explained. With a call option, the buyer is in the money if the strike price is below the stock the stock's actual price. Let's use an example. Let's say, for example, you place a call option to purchase a stock at $50 per share, but the actual price is $60 per share. You'd, you'd be up or in the money by $10 a share. Why is that? Because you placed a call option to purchase the stock at $50 per share, but you actually ended up making more money because it actually is at $60. That's the actual price of the stock. So you actually ended up making $10 off of that in additional income. Put options, however, are the opposite. That's when the option buyer is in the money, but the put option of the strike price is higher than the actual price. Now, when you're out of the money, or I often refer to it as out of luck, that's being out of money with a call put option means that the option buyer doesn't stand to reap any financial gain from exercising the option. Whether a call or put option is out of the money depends on the relationship between the strike price and the actual price. Now, I kind of gave you guys a little bit of what exactly that means. Um, they also use similar terms as bid and ask price. So I kind of want to give you some pros of cons of option trading so you guys are aware. So option traders can often provide advantages and disadvantages for investors. When you're an option trader, the the benefits of that is lower entry points because unless an investor can purchase the uh, fractional shares. So think of fractional shares of you buying different types of cereal. Let's say one cereal costs $10, one costs 13, one costs 11. So you have different options to buy different, uh, uh, same stock price, uh, the same company, excuse me, at different stock price levels. You guys, uh, Cash App was doing fractional shares. So you guys are aware of that. I don't think I need to get into what exactly that means. So when you purchase fractional shares, purchasing individual stock shares with a higher price points can get expensive. Investing in options, on the other hand, may be more accessible for investors with a limited amount of money to put into the market. So options, if you're not willing to pay $1,000 for Tesla, you can basically buy an option at $100 in Tesla. Now, the downside, uh, there's downside protection for buyers. If the stock's price isn't moving in the direction of the buyer anticipated, they don't have to exercise their option to buy. This can limit losses. Unfortunately, unlike the stock market where you have to buy at the actual price that it's at. And there's also better flexibility. So an investor can control over exercising an option to capitalize on the stock rise or fall accordingly. An investor can exercise an option to buy or keep the shares or buy or buy or resell them. Or they could just choose not to exercise the option at all. Now, some negatives with options is they can be risky for sellers. Why is that? Because when you're trading, it's risky. But trading options have the potential to be more so for investors on the selling side end of a contract. If an investor might end up being out of money or on the other option. So out of money, remember I mentioned, is when the, act, when the actual, I'm sorry, when the, the price that you purchase for is actually more than what the actual price is in the stock market. So you end up losing money as opposed to you actually buying at a lesser price in options and the actual price is higher. So there's more risk in that when you could lose more money on that. So that's very important. So basically the takeaway here is 
when you trade options, you can be it can be appealing to investors who think an asset price will either go up or down, or who will want to attempt to offset risk by assets that they own. But before an investor engages in options trading, it's a good idea to be familiar with what put and calls are and the terms that I gave you guys. So let me give you a quick example of trading options. <coughs> Excuse me. Call and put options only function as effective hedges when they limit losses and maximize gains. Suppose you purchase 100, 100 shares of company XYZ stock. Betting that the price would increase to $20, therefore. Suppose you purchase 100 shares of company XYZ option stock. Betting that the price will increase to $20. Therefore, your total investment is 1000 to hedge against the risk that the price might decline, you purchase one put option. Each option contract represents 100 shares of the underlying stock with a strike price of 10. I explain what a strike price is for you to, for those listening, so I don't need to get into that. So each is worth $2 or a total of 200 Now, you might be thinking, what is that exactly does that mean? So if you guys have been paying attention or listening, and you guys do the calculation, you'll figure how I did that. Now, I want to transition a little bit because I don't want to stay too much on just stocks and options. I also want to get into what type of brokerages or different platforms that you can actually purchase um, a lot of these stocks or options on. Now, this isn't limited to just these platforms. There's many other platforms out there, but these are some that I liked that I wanted to share with you by just sharing the pros and cons. So what are pros? Some pros for Fidelity Investments. This is one that I like. for. This is best for a broker or someone that's looking to trade ETFs, and it's low cost. Now, what are the pros for Fidelity Trading Platform? It's committed to eliminated common account fees. It has a strong portfolio analysis and account features. It has excellent order ex execution. It's powerful for active trader pro platform. It has direct indexing, fractional share trading for over 7,000 U.S. stocks and ETFs. So you can buy fractional shares at any price. You can buy stock price uh, stock prices at any price with fractional shares. Now, the cons of Fidelity is you have to pay higher broker-associated trade fees. So brokerages, brokers are basically people that basically um, invest the stocks for you or invest money into the stock market for you. That's what a broker basically does. He's basically your money manager for the stock or option market. And the con, or another con is there's minimum balance for some index trading. Moving forward, my favorite platform, TD Ameritrade. This is my guy. This is who I trade with and this is who I enjoy. TD Ameritrade is best for not just brokers, but also people that are beginners and people that are looking to be educated. Why is that? Because TD Ameritrade has a wide range of product offering. They have superb educational contact, content. Excuse me. They teach you how to actually invest into the market. They teach you what, what, stock, what stock market pricing is. They teach you what dividend is. They teach you what an IPO is. They teach you the step-by-step -step process as to how to buy and sell shares. This is important for especially beginners. It has top-notch trading technology and options analytics across platform. I just explained that. It's very capable paper trading platform, which I like, and it has strong customer support. One of the things I like about TD Ameritrade, if I'm having an issue with any stock, I could just call customer service and I have someone resolve it for me, which I've done that in real time. 
The problem with com- uh, platforms like Robinhood that I used to remember that they used to have issues with, you would call a number that they give you as customer service and nobody ever picked up the damn phone. So if you're having issues with, let's say, a company that you're looking to purchase or money issues in terms of your money being held in the market, you can't call anybody to help resolve that. And it takes so long if you send an email for them to get back to you. With TD Ameritrade, they usually do it same day. And I've had experiences like that. This is why I love uh, TD Ameritrade. And that's one of my favorite platforms. Now, some of their account fees can be relatively high. So you have to be careful of that with TD Ameritrade. And they don't really offer fractional shares. I think that's subject to change. If it hasn't changed already, have to do more research on that. And it must opt for automatic cash sweep. So cryptocurrency trading also... Uh, through OTC trusts, ETFs, or mutual funds, and Bitcoin features only is how you can trade um, cryptocurrency. So, and th- those are the ones I kind of like, and that's kind of what I just wanted to highlight for you guys. Um, yeah, so let's get into REITs. So what are REITs? REITs are real estate investment trusts. They're companies that own or finance income producing real estate across a, ra- a range of property sectors. The, the, these real estate companies have to meet a number of requirements to qualify as REITs. So REITs are just real estate on the stock market. Most REITs trade on major stock exchanges and they offer a number of benefits to investors. Fundrise is a trading platform um, for REITs. They offer low minimum investment. They open they're open to all investors. They're easy to use website and they have investment retirement accounts available. Now, the thing I don't like about Fundrise is they're very highly liquid or hard to cash investment. So you can't really cash out on the properties or the real estate investment trust that you buy. Your fees can be difficult to understand. You feel like you're getting cheated sometimes. So you got to be careful of that also. And they have complex investments that require investment due diligence. I would contact uh, your investment manager if you have one. I would even contact an attorney sometime because uh, when you look at contract attorneys, they can kind of explain what you kind of have to give up to invest into a lot of these real estate investment trusts. So I would do research on that. But why do we like it? Why do we like why do I like Fundrise? Fundrise is an online real estate company that lets average investors buy into private commercial and residential properties by pulling their assets through an investment platform. The company offers e-REITs or real estate funds that don't trade on a public exchange. Another one that is out there for REITs is Realty Mogul. What is what are the positives of this platform? The REIT products are open for to non-credited investors. So that just means that anyone could kind of go on there and invest in them. They have buyback programs that can add liquidity to cash out quicker. They have high targeted rates of return. Now, the issues I don't like with this one is they have high investment minimums. So you can only go, they cap you at a certain limit. They have complex fee structures and very investment, relatively short track record. But why do we like it overall? They offer investments for accredited and non-accredited investors alike, but the complexity of its earnings, particularly when it comes to fees and liquidity, may turn off those who dislike reading fine print. What, what did I say in the last one with Fundrise? Contact your investment broker if you have one or if you have a, an attorney that can look over these contracts with you. Because like any real estate property, even if it's on a digital landscape, you want to make sure the money that you're putting in is going to the right places and you're getting the right returns. If your property isn't making money, an investment property you bought online isn't making money, what is the real point of that investment? So it's very important. 
Now, I want to wrap this up with the last couple minutes I have left with what is the outlook for 2023? I gave you guys, I gave you guys the blueprint right now. Excuse me, let me just drink uh, some water real fast. I gave you guys the blueprint. I've spoken on here for again to almost 45 minutes to an hour, giving you guys what stocks are, different terms to understand, um, options, different option terminology to understand, real estate investing. If you don't want to actually do it from the physical aspect, you can go online and actually purchase real estate properties and still make the same money as someone that's doing it in person. These are all the things I wanted to give you guys. Now, I want to wrap this up by looking at the industries you want to look at in 2023. Now, I'm not giving investment advice. This is a disclaimer. I am not giving you guys investment advice. <laughs> so, I am not a, a professional in that sense. I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not registered or licensed in that. I'm just giving you guys just based on research and the outlook of what I see. And it, it, this is what the different platforms I like going into this year. Fintech, what does that mean? Digital trading platforms like PayPal. Um, you have Cash App, you have Zelle, all these things. Now you see banks like Bank of America Chase trying to compete. Why is that? Because a lot of us do banking online. We don't, we, we're our generation, we're lazy. We don't want to go <laughs> and go into the bank physically when we can do it over the internet. And I believe the generation coming up is is actually just going to do online banking at like a almost 95% rate. So at this point, you have a lot of these trading platforms, a lot of these banks trying to transition into online um, cash purchasing or cash sending platforms. So I would look at fintech such as PayPal. Um, that's one. I like PayPal. I mean, because that's one of the main ones, especially when you do business transactions and stuff like that. Block formerly known as Square. This is Jack Dorsey, the former co-founder or co-founder, excuse me, of Twitter. Uh, that's his platform. I like him as well. I like his company as well. Bank of America, TBD, but they're going to be having some fintech coming there. So that's what I would look at. Also, I would look at pharmaceuticals like Moderna. Um, you have others out there that you want to look at as well. Pfizer, why is that? We're still in a, a COVID-induced era. A lot of people, are, I know we, I know we outside, but end of the day, we still gotta be careful. Being people are, companies are still and are still trying to get workers uh, into their companies uh, full time, five day work weeks. Obviously, there's still viruses out there. Um, just because the news isn't reporting, it doesn't mean it's not there. So, of course, these drug makers, these pharmaceutical companies are looking to get uh, different vaccines or vaccinations that can better help us mitigate the risk of catching COVID and other diseases out there like that. So, this is why I like uh, Pfizer, Moderna, even CVS, the drugstore. This is important. Rite Aid, these are, uh, these are stocks or company stocks I would look at. Um, tech is skeptical right now. I would stay away from that until at least springtime because of these massive layoffs and there's fluctuation. There's always fluctuation in tech, but you can't be tech because you have companies like Apple, Microsoft. They're always going to bounce back because that's just what they work in. So those are those are kind of the industries I'm looking at. There's others out there, but I just want to give you guys a quick blueprint. I hope you guys liked today's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, I, I loved it as well. This is just, um, are we in the year of the bear or the bull? That's important to know. I don't know, but I have an idea. I think we're going to be in bear for some time. 
but we'll eventually transition to bull towards the end of the year. And the markets always fluctuate, like I remember, like remember what I told you guys. Now, I hope you guys take away today's episode to gain the knowledge that you guys need in the stock market and options, real estate trust, and kind of the outlook for this year and beyond. I can only summarize it as much as possible. If I had three, four hours to go through this, I would. Maybe I'll do a Patreon just to kind of explain step-by-step processes. But just wanted to give you guys kind of a quick summary of a lot of these trading platforms out there. Don't hold your money in the bank. You hold your money as savings, but what are you doing to make passive income? What are the other income that you're making? Just something to think about. What are you doing now that sets your family up, your future kids up for the, for the years ahead, for the decades ahead? This is what stock markets can provide. Check us out next week. Check uh, we special special guest coming next week. Check us out. I want I want to thank you guys again. We are the Wealth Principles available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, as well as YouTube. That is the Wealth Principle. I am your host today, Charles Dan. So thank you guys. Talk to you soon. Peace.